0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: In today's episode of The Sixers Beat, Rich and over the Sixers' overtime loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, including Ben Simmons' success defending Giannis, the team's half-court offensive struggles over the last two games without Joel Embiid and how this all might factor in when the Sixers reach the playoffs. We then go over the trade, which saw the Bucks acquire P.J. Tucker, discussing how that might impact a potential playoff matchup, and also what that signals for next Thursday's trade deadline. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat, where you can get 50% off of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, we are coming off of a uh, what they had had a six game winning streak that was ended on Wednesday night with a 109 to 105 loss to the Milwaukee Bucks after winning two straight uh, their first two games without Joel Embiid during the stretch. They did eventually fall in a game that was much more competitive than I think most of us would have expected, maybe not better played. We'll get into that certainly throughout this podcast, but how you doing, Rich?
2: I'm great, man. The, I think you summed it up pretty well coming into that game. I did not think it was going to be that competitive.
1: No. If you took a step back and just said the Sixers beat the Spurs, beat the Knicks, took the Bucks to overtime without Joel Embiid, you'd say that's, Freaking fantastic! That is everything you could have hoped for. And to be quite clear, like being I'm two go, and one. I'm going to yeah, say that today. Yeah, I'm going to say that today.
2: After we saw it happen, I'm going to say that was fantastic.
1: Being two and one at this stretch and having come close to the Bucks is best case scenario. The path to that point was a little bit frustrating, especially on Wednesday night, and we will get into that. Um, but where they are at and the overall, when you zoom back, uh, they are in a, a, a good spot. They are now tied for the one seed in the Eastern Conference. The first time since January 19th that they haven't held that outright, uh, which is pretty incredible. You don't usually hold the number one seed for that long. Um, you know, you're talking about almost two months now where they have been the top seed in the Eastern Conference. At that point, I think there were nine and five or something and Boston was eight and four. So that sort of shows you how long ago that was and what Boston's gone through since then in the ever-evolving Eastern Conference. I guess that pulls the Bucks to within... Two games? Two, I think. Or no, they were at two. I don't, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of games left. But yeah, if you're looking at it from the perspective of they had to get through basically to April without Embiid. And hopefully at that point you get Embiid back. A 2-1 stretch here to start, like we looked at at the beginning. If they could go four and six over that 10 game stretch, that would be a good spot where they could, they could recover from. So uh, yeah, an overall good win. Or good, good game. Good game.
2: Yeah, and it was frustrating to have the Bucks shoot like they did. One for seventeen
1: in the first half, yeah.
2: Some of that was the Sixers defense. Some of that was they just couldn't buy one.
1: There there are other aspects of the Sixers defense which was key in that first half. I think they had like thirteen turnovers the Bucs did. A lot of that was because of the, the Sixers and their pressure. A lot of Giannis Giannis only having four shots was a lot of the Sixers defense. When a team gets up 17 three-point shots, a lot of them are going to end up being good. The Sixers certainly got lucky. And that's sort of, there is, I don't want to say a a sense of impending doom because that's too strong, but there was a sense of, well, if the Sixers don't sort of turn this around, second half might not go quite as easily. And you just hoped, especially with the Sixers being on the second half of a back-to-back and not having that rest and being without Embiid, you hoped that they could find some half-court offensive execution because the Bucs were going to play better. Giannis was going to score more than four points in the second half and ended up scoring 28. And, you know, the Bucs weren't going to shoot that bad. You hope the Sixers had enough left in their tank on the second half of a back-to-back. And they just never really got their offensive game going. Uh, and 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 it was a, a weird end. Like, there were a lot of poor decisions on both teams, a lot of poor execution on both teams. But it was, yeah, I don't know. It, it's one of those games where, like, you're watching it unfold and you're watching it lead reach 19 in the second half and you're watching it. You just get chipped away the entire second half and it's frustrating. And like you're picking apart every bad pass, every turnover, every missed shot. Um, they had one stretch there in, I think it was overtime where green had two open threes and cork had an open three all in the same possession. Cause they got the long rebounds. Missed like three threes in twenty seconds, and Giannis went down and made a pull up three, and it was like, all right, maybe it's just not going to be their night. You can nitpick a lot of what happened in the second half, but it wasn't one of those games where you walk away from him and go, well that 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 reveals a huge problem. Um, it was it was a good it was a fine performance in a loss. I don't know what else to say.
2: Yeah, and you know the things that you can nitpick, I would say specifically the half court offense. Oh yeah.
1: Their, their worst half-court offensive game of the season per clean, cleaning glass. 72.4, I think. I'm looking off the top of my head. Uh, 72.4 points per 100 possessions in the half-court, or 100 plays. I uh, want to be clear on that. Um, not great. Uh, and by not great, I mean downright terrible. Uh, like I said, it, you knew that that the Sixers had to start executing in the half-court, and they just never did. And that was a, a tough game for them. Milwaukee is a good defense, uh, and Giannis presents some problems for the Sixers. Perimeter players. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, the Sixers' half-court offense was sitting on the bench in slippers. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, Doc had, it, a, it, Doc had a quote before this started, um, before the Knicks game, the first game without, or the, before the Spurs game, the first game without Joel. And they said, well, what are you going to learn about your team during the stretch? And he's like, I don't know. This isn't my team. Like, my team is with Joel. And there certainly is a sense, like, we can talk about the the deficiencies that they had, if there are deficiencies that you have in the playoffs and you're effed anyway, because you don't have Joel Embiid.
2: Yeah. Um, so, so I guess the place to start is with Ben. Very up and down game, depending on what half of the court you were on.
1: I I called it. Yeah. It was a 50, 50 game. He was great at 50% and just a terrible at the other 50%. Yeah.
2: So overall average. Yeah. That's uh, that's how it worked. And it was,
1: you know, it was it was a little
2: discouraging. I, I thought his offense was really bad.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> probably probably worse than numbers even suggest. He ended up with 13 points on 6 for 16 shooting, 12 assists, 10 rebounds, and 7 turnovers. The emptiest triple-double, offensively at least, that he has probably ever had. Uh, and actually, now that I read those off, the numbers are pretty bad anyway. So I don't, want, I don't know if it's worse than numbers suggest because of numbers. Like 13 points on 16 shots and 7 turnovers. Never with a great the- night at the
2: office. With the bullshit three at the end.
1: Which, bullshit three, which looked fucking fine. I don't want to get into that. I had a tweet last night where I'm like, I think Ben might actually be a better shooter than Giannis at this point. Just we'll never know because he never takes him in game. And I think a lot of people took that as me praising Ben. It's like, no, that's that's me saying like the form is good enough. You should be able to stand in the corner and shoot once a game. Uh, And I think he might actually have a respectable percentage. Like if he just stood in the corner, didn't think about it, let it fly on the once a game it got kicked to him. I think he might be able to hit 30% of those pretty easily. Does that, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't say that. Giannis just owned him. That's not what I'm freaking saying. Um, I'm just saying, I think his form looks better. His touch might be better than Giannis. I don't want him shooting pull up threes, but like go stand in the corner every now and then. I think, I think he's ready for that. He's, I just don't think confidence wise, he's ready for that.
2: you're preaching to the choir. I've been saying that for years that I think his form is, while not perfect. It's smooth enough. And it's, uh, I guess it's short enough where where there's not a lot of room for mistakes. You look at Giannis's shot, man, he's, he's dipping. It's like
1: he for like halfway through, he just forgets what he's supposed to do. And he just kind of knuckles it down and he still takes it. And uh, like a lot of people will say, well, if you ask Ben to shoot, that's what it's going to look like. No, that was sort of the point of my tweet. I think it might actually look better than that, especially if you're just talking about from the corner on the catch. But we don't, I mean, (laughs) we always get sucked into the trap of every time he makes a three pointer. We've got to talk about that three-pointer and jump shot. It's just it's frustrating because I do think he can make a spot up corner three.
2: Well, and you have a game last night where Giannis plays 10 feet off of him the entire game. I don't know, maybe eight feet off of him. He is at the free throw line the entire game. The other thing the Bucks were doing, which was very effective, they had Drew Holiday on Tobias Harris for most yep. of the game, and they were able to switch that. And whether it was Ben posting up Drew, you know, Tobias going one-on-one on Giannis. It, Tobias, rough scoring night in terms of creating his own shot one-on-one. Didn't do it quite as well as he did expertly the night before against the Knicks. Hey, that might be back-to-back. That might be a step up in competition. I don't know. It's it's an NBA regular season. Um, I'm not too worried about it. But he also missed open shots as well.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So there was that, and Ben just couldn't make it happen against Giannis. Was just at the end of the game. Was not, or not even at the end of the game. For most of the game, was not even attacking him. Did Ben shoot zero free throws?
1: I believe so. I think the I mean, only the team shot eight. Yeah, so. um, the only the only the starting lineup only got three. The one technical from Curry in the first half, and then two from Tobias. Yeah, Ben shot zero free throws. Well yeah, I don't and, think he shot have, that many the previous game either, did he?
2: No. And yeah, sneakily, I, I didn't think he was Yeah, one uh, it was a great offensive game for him the uh the night before against New York either. Uh San Antonio game, everybody was cooking, including him. The uh Yeah, the Sixers they shot eight free throws. Doc Rivers complained after the game. There were a lot of people who complained on, on Twitter in my mentions. I gotta say, watching it live. I don't know where people think these free throws are coming from. It's like the, uh, it's like the guy who says, you know, I really don't like to complain about the refs, but but every time the Sixers lose a game, it's, I don't like to complain about the refs, but they really suck. I mean, you know, were there individual instances of of some tough calls? Like, uh, I I could do without the the Middleton jumping in to Dwight Howard thirty feet. Uh, three pointer, but that's more of an NBA problem,
1: right? Than, the problem is than that
2: specific game. The problem is that, that
1: that is the interpretation of the rule. It's a bad interpretation. I had some people say Dwight went straight up and landed in this. No, game. he did. He went he forward. Did. And once that I just defender, don't like the rule. once that defender moves forward, the offensive player it is a legal move for them to jump directly towards the rim to draw that contact. I don't think it should be a legal move, but the NBA has been pretty consistent in calling that at least. So it's more like that is something they need to change than a incorrect call in that instance. Yeah. And jump but, uh, he should have jumped forward. Like in that situation, in that spot, you know, he's going to try to draw that foul. Like droid has got to be smarter. Put your hand up. Don't jump. If you do jump, make damn sure you're going straight up. Don't put yourself in a spot where he can draw that very. And honestly, I think that sort of kickstarted Milwaukee because I was right at the end of the third quarter. I think that kick started their run a little bit. I mean, those were three big points for sure.
2: Sure. The scissors had some dumb plays while the Bucks were struggling. You know Simmons let Con- Connaughton get an offensive rebound at the end of the half. I, I guess maybe he missed both of those, so uh, it didn't quite matter as much. But uh, yeah, I mean every point counted in a- in an overtime game. The uh, so so just back to the free throw shooting in general, though. You know you you had been playing dribble handoff for most of the game. You had Tobias and. And him, you know, getting switched with Drew and Giannis, Ben shooting hook shots. And, yeah. you know, maybe there was the one where he drove on Drew, although that, that kind of looked like an offensive foul to me in, in transition. But it, so if Ben's not drawing fouls, if you have Tobias shooting mid range jumpers and, and runners, if you have Furcon getting a, the lion's share of the overtime. When offense. fur
1: your are closer, you're probably not going to draw that many fouls. Yeah, that Which, is a very fair point.
2: When you have fucking Dwight shooting 18 footers and 20 footers for most of the game, you're probably not going to shoot too many free throws. So, yeah, the Sixers offense bogged down. Um, you know, I, I, I wish Ben would have found a little more of a way to score. You yeah. know, look, I we're going to talk about his defense in a minute, but Giannis found switches and found ways to eventually score. And Giannis is one of the best five players in the world. So that's, that's what he does. But you just wish after some of the games, like after the the game in Utah against Gobert, after some of the more aggressive stretches of basketball, I, I didn't think Ben, I, I think he kind of just resorted to the dribble handoff game. And to be fair, like the Sixers missed some shots and, and part of uh, his game, he was part of the reason that they were getting open threes and driving kick. But I I just wish there was a little bit more of a diversity to his skill set. So, yeah, I I guess that's where I'm at for his, his game.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Yeah, especially because he had that stretch there where there was a little more diversity to his skill set um, earlier in, in in February and early March. Um, s- certainly before the, the All-Star break, he was playing some of his best basketball in that regard, this was a tough matchup for him. It's A tough one,
2: yeah. That's they have good defensive personnel.
1: Oh, and and they're they're theoretically. Uh, I don't know how much PJ Tucker has left in the tank, uh, and how much of that was just he's playing on the Rockets without James Harden. He doesn't give a shit anymore, and that will be interesting to see. But if he if he does come back, they have an even more switchable lineup, which will be interesting because they have never really switched all that much. Uh, it's tough to do that with Brooke Lopez there in the center, so they have avoided that. Now they have a little more personnel. Which I mean, that could be a real good defensive team and a real tough defensive team in the playoffs. It was it was a tough defensive team, certainly for Ben Simmons last night. But um, you need you do need more out of him for sure, for sure. And that is the um, that is the trouble with Simmons. He was utterly fantastic. And you know, you talked about Marcus All being um, you know the the endgame boss for Joel Embiid. Well, Giannis defensively is sort of like the endgame boss. For Ben Simmons, he's never had any real success against him. You know, two years ago, I think it was when Giannis dropped 52 in Milwaukee, they switched and they started putting Joe on him because Ben just didn't have, he got bullied every time he tried to defend Giannis one-on-one. So for him to come out and really shut Giannis down in the first half and cut off his driving lanes and match his physicality and keep him from getting three feet from the basket, it was real impressive to see. And he had some possessions where he stood him up not once, not twice, but three times in the course of a possession, uh, and it was it was a real good defensive performance. To then mirror that with an equally bad offensive performance in a game where you don't have very many options outside of him, especially when Curry leaves with seven plus minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, it's it's the Ben Simmons experience. It really is. Yeah, he is. He is but, offensively. He is. It always seems like he is one bad game away from taking some of that progress and going backwards. Yeah. Uh,
2: Again, I'm not discouraged overall from what we saw. And like you said, I I think the main positive is that his defense on Giannis, like Giannis was putting him in the basket a couple of years ago. This is not, you know, when Ben usually guards these guys on the perimeters, it's that he's able to, I don't know, that, that he's able to move his feet. And get around screens and give uh, give length to these smaller guards. Um, usually, it's it's more of a guard oriented thing with him, in terms of like chasing guys around in the perimeter. With Giannis, it's pretty simple. It's when he drives into the paint, when he gets, I don't know, eight nine feet away from the basket, and you know he does the spin move or he puts his shoulder in you or whatever. The, the answer to whether you can guard him or not is pretty simple. One, you have to be able to move your feet well enough. And that's, you know, I think there are a decent amount of players who can do that. But the the question is is really simple when it comes to guarding him. When he makes that move to put his shoulder into you or spin, do you stand your ground or do you fly eight right. feet back? Ben was in the latter category before. What we saw last night, he moved into the Joel category yeah. where... Giannis was not able to move him, and that's that's awesome. That's that's a big deal. In a uh,
1: seven-game playoff series, when you've got Joe back and you've now got another option to defend Giannis, that would be enormous. It would be enormous for sure.
2: That that is a huge deal. He uh I mean he made him look bad a couple times. Like Giannis shooting fadeaways and kind of looking stuck under the basket and looking for bailout passes. And, and I thought the the Sixers defense. You know, in the first half we talked about, yeah, they got a little lucky with the shooting. They did not get lucky with, I think Giannis had four points in yep. the first half. They did not get lucky with that element of it because Ben, whether it was being physical and walling off his drives, you know, making making it hard for him to catch the ball just in general, there was a nice possession. But then there there were other plays, you know, I think Tony Bradley got switched onto him once, nice charge by Danny Green, a couple of really excellent help possessions by tobias and matisse matisse was doing his thing in that uh in that first half as you would expect for a game with a lot of turnovers he uh he was certainly creating a bunch of them i don't think he actually created a bunch of them offensively too which was good it was (laughs) honestly like this is what i'm talking about when i say overall a pretty encouraging performance i I thought they would be dead on the second night of a back-to-back yeah they, they defended their asses off for the uh for the entire game, but specifically a lot of, the first a half, a lot of
1: the fatigue seemed like it came on jumpers and not having the legs for the jumpers. Uh, a lot of the fatigue came maybe in terms of decision making, but just sheer effort, uh, especially in the first half, especially defensively. Yeah, it was it was an encouraging performance for sure.
2: And the Bucks couldn't make shots, and we talked about that. The Sixers' legs were gone on open jumpers in the second half. Yeah. they they were just gone. Curry was bricking. Green was green was missing. Shea couldn't buy one Cork Couldn't buy a couple in overtime. Although he made his, uh, his that patented corner. Yep. Uh, the, the corner three. I look, that that better be the first play on the, uh, on the uh, out of, or on the opposing scouting report at the end of games, because cork is, is curling to the corner people and, and he's going to make that shot. If you let him catch it. So uh,
1: another bad, like Dante going for that seal there. Like, don't do that. Just, prevent him from getting a clean look at a three what are you doing
2: yeah the the bucks did some pretty stupid stuff at the end of uh at the end of that game it was as you tweeted last night that game was was pretty drunk and and i can't you know i I do think the bucks that is going to be that's an interesting playoff test because on the one hand i i really do think that the acquisition of drew is gonna is really gonna help them because I just think defensively having somebody who can switch another smart ball handler type player. He's like he's very good, and so a, and he,
1: a point guard with a little bit of size and strength to him and length might be useful in the playoffs. Yeah, I feel, I feel like that might dovetail nicely into uh, trade deadline talk. Yeah,
2: <laughs> we can get we can get into that. but I just thought he was very good. Now their bench is terrible. Is so bad. I mean, God, they're playing Bobby Portis considerable minutes at backup center the, the Sixers when they have Dwight Howard in an all-bench unit out there some of those Milwaukee lineups I know they had how many did Portis drop on the
1: Sixers a couple years ago
2: I forget did you have a but, monster game I, I feel like it but I you know there's there's been so many of these games they kind of bleed together now <sighs> but you just have a lot of very limited players off Milwaukee's bench and I, I don't want to just pick on Bobby Portis there there are some other guys it's funny, oh, like no, watching I'm, the Sixers all bench lineup against some of those Milwaukee heavily yeah. bench units. I was like, the, the, the Sixers actually match up okay against these guys.
1: Well, especially right when they're playing semi decent, like they have been here of late. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and like a lot of people like sort of freaked out, like, oh, well, they gave up DJ Augustine in the uh, PJ Tucker trade. Well, DJ Augustine's been kind of ass this year. Like he's been really bad. Like when you get to the playoffs, you expect that they will run all of their offense. Through Drew and through Giannis and through even Chris Middleton before they run it through DJ Augustine. So I don't think they really lost all that much. Yeah, he dropped uh, Bobby Portis dropped thirty eight on the Sixers back in the 2017-18 season, which was actually when they were starting to be a little bit a little bit more competitive.
2: Was uh, that the game the Sixers came back in Chicago and
1: they they stole? I believe no. This was this was in Philadelphia and they lost. Huh. Uh, or no, right, I'm well, sorry, then- the Sixers won, but it was in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, they well, they stole it. It was, a, it was a late win. No, you're right. It was in Chicago. I was looking at it in Bobby Portis's game log, and got my L and Ws mixed up. Yeah, they got came back in one on one pointer.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, that was okay. Now I'm I'm remembering that was a back to back. So you know, it was a uh, it, it was a good test for them. And I'll just say, like overall, like any criticism we have of uh, of Ben's offense, which I, I think is is valid. I'm uh, I'm five ten, by the way. Don't. <laughs>
1: I am six too. So I guess I can get away with criticizing them. That was funny. That was, Don't and look, it way. was, it was petty. But that's was okay. Pretty- I'm, I'm, I'm okay with petty. I'm not above petty. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just, I like when athletes show their personality and sometimes yeah. that will be, you know, my, my border on the petty side. But, uh, it was a, <laughs> it was, it was a pretty bad take. It was a pretty bad take. I would have look if, if somebody called me the worst sports writer in the world or, or most overrated sports writer in covering the, league, I'd probably clap back a little bit too.
2: There's there's certainly more nuance than in in discussing Ben Simmons game than just calling him overrated. I think that's uh sure. that's probably fair. No, I, I just like that he admitted he saw
1: yeah. the uh, yeah. the criticism. The,
2: that was the... uh honestly whatever uh, whatever he said about the short jokes which I I agree with you it was pretty funny. Um uh, <laughs> but just just
1: It was funny it, because it was unexpected
2: usually just ben- him, him saying yeah because usually he'll pretend it doesn't happen right. and that's not oh, I didn't, that's not I just didn't a ben thing it. i didn't watch
1: it yeah and
2: yeah. that's not just a ben thing that's uh, a gen- generic athlete or a general athlete thing and uh, frankly like i would probably say that if i was an athlete too cuz i hate confrontation and you know whatever i'm i'm a multimillionaire who cares about what these people are saying about me but i don't know it humanized him which was uh, yeah. which was kind of cool yeah. So, so yeah, like a little bit of a disappointing offensive game, but overall, they didn't have Joel Embiid. And that's a, right, it's a minor deal. A minor. Very deal. important thing. And so for them to keep it fairly competitive, I, I think my biggest takeaway is nice job keeping it competitive for the most part. Um, you know, it, it's almost, it was almost the opposite of the game the night before where the Knicks were on a back to back and the sixers just struggled. They were they were in the mud offensively for most of the game.
1: Got to get out of the mud, Rich. Got to get, get out of it.
2: The they were stuck in neutral in the mud. I, I think I'm probably mixing my uh my clichés up there. But anyway, they they finally got unstuck as the Knicks looked like a team that uh that was playing the second night of a back-to-back and they scored 14 points in the uh in the fourth quarter. So that's uh that's fine. A couple days of rest and now a uh now a pretty tough road trip, I gotta say.
1: Yeah, well, you've got one more. Well, you got one more against yep.
2: Sacramento. You should probably win that one. Uh,
1: yes, yes, and then you you go you start off that road trip with the Knicks and the Warriors, which aren't necessarily easy games. Certainly not what they would have been last year, but they are winnable games. Uh, before you hit the the really tough portion of this Embiidless stretch. And look, it, it is like they have had two pretty rough nights here offensively in a row. You called the Knicks game. Um, you know, nineties basketball. And then the Kings game was almost like hold my beer. Although stylistically the, the the, or the Bucks game, I mean stylistically, the Bucks game wasn't necessarily like that. Uh, I think the Knicks game was much more of a throwback in that regard, but they'd been playing some real good offensive basketball up to that point, including a couple of games. Um, you know, that, that Spurs game without Joel, the, the kickstart this period was, was a pretty good offensive game. So if they have a couple games here where they struggle offensively without their focal point, without the guy who runs, most of their half court offense. It's uh it's understandable to some degree.
2: Yeah. Hope, uh, c- hope Curry is okay. That, uh, that was a little bit scary. He heard, yeah. he heard Drew's footsteps on the, uh, on the fast break and everybody's like, he should have just shot that one. I actually think his his shot would have got sent, but obviously, uh, I wish he would have shot it cause he probably wouldn't have hurt himself in that, uh, in that manner. And, uh, God, something about the the curries and ankles, you know. Yeah,
1: no. Del, I, 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 Del, Del
2: Curry and his family have everything. They they really do. I mean, they 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 really seem to have it all figured out, except keeping their ankles healthy, which uh, it's a it's a minor thing, but it's it's a notable one for a uh, a basketball playing family.
1: Yeah, no. I went to I went to Google Seth Curry ankle, and I I ended up reading about uh, Steph, who had just same ankle maybe two months ago. The um, ankle
2: that that costed him a bunch of money a long yeah, time ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. It did, Maybe
2: it didn't cost him a bunch of money in a that that was a weird situation where he had the ankle injury and then literally after he signed it he blew up to an insane degree right after. Yep. But
1: he he would have gotten more money without the ankle.
2: I think so. Yeah.
1: Uh, there was pretty significant, and that was always sort of like when we were debating Joel Embiid and whether you should have taken him at third overall. That was always sort of the example we went back to. Like, yeah, a lot of people doubted whether Curry would have a a healthy and and sustainable career Uh, and knock on wood so far. Joel Embiid's navicular bone has not been problematic here really ever since he came back and not really, I mean completely ever since he came back and I'm knocking on wood very hard right now.
2: Um, And now they're both Under Armour clients. They are. Maybe, maybe Under Armour should advertise that.
1: <laughs> yeah. The are, Under are... Armour
2: navicular eights or something like that, like to keep, keep Joe's feet healthy.
1: That seems like that is tempting the uh, the injury gods. Not that I really believe in that sort of thing, but I wouldn't. In, just in case I'm wrong, I wouldn't want to be too aggressive <clears throat> in that regard. I
2: agree. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: But yeah, Seth Curry, it, we don't have an update yet on him in that regard. Uh, you know, he had that sprained left ankle in the fourth quarter, uh, went out, did not come back. We will let you know when we have more information. Hopefully it, it's nothing. D- Doc, he always does this, I don't really know, but I don't think it's serious. And then I'll go back to, well, but I don't I don't really know. Um, so he's like, I don't have an update, I'm positive, but I don't really have an update for you. Uh, but he did seem to think that it wasn't going to be anything too serious uh, but doc also seems like he doesn't really he seems pretty focused uh and, and like he doesn't like those periphery kind of things just don't concern him too much during the game so we will we'll find out but not yeah uh,
2: speaking of curry doc mentioned before the game that uh i think it was the first time we've heard it from him he's like yeah he should shoot more threes
1: yeah and like there's been a definite seem like a a, a shift a little bit he does seem like more often he is he is Stationing himself not at the line, but like a good five feet behind the line. And he's exactly. taking those shots now. Uh, some of the pump fakes are now resulting into sidestep threes. Not all of them. There's still a, a healthy portion of pull up three pointers or pull up two pointers that he is taking. But it does seem like there has been a little bit of a conversation of, hey, you can shoot from 28 feet. Like, go out there, especially with Joel. Like, give us. And I mean, look, Maury pushed that evolution in Houston where those guys would you know, set up from 30 feet away and, 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 and bomb. And you wonder if that is going to be the case for select players here. Like you probably don't want, um, I don't know, Danny green shooting 30 footers. I don't want
2: Tobias shooting 30 footers. No, no, definitely not. That's not not even going to hit the rim.
1: No, 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 no. Um, but maybe Seth Curry, I mean, obviously Seth Curry, maybe Furkan could, Mike Scott seems like he could, he'd be okay shooting from maybe who knows. He would, Um, he
2: would miss from 30 the same way he'd miss miss from 24.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so let's move on. There was a, a trade before the game, which left the bucks a little bit shorthanded. We don't talk about it too much because the Sixers were shorthanded by about seven foot two. Uh, but it did leave the bucks without DJ Augustine, without DJ Wilson, who are heading, um, who are not on their team anymore, who are not on their team. They're heading the rockets. The, um, bucks got back PJ Tucker. There was some pick swapping going on. So the Rockets have the right to swap um, their, uh, their second-round pick for Milwaukee's first-round pick this year. Uh, Milwaukee got another pick back. I think it was, what, 2023, their own first-round pick c- coming back to them, and they sent a, a 2022 first-round pick to Houston. I might have some of those details mixed up, but essentially they are trading two first-round picks for a first-round pick and a second-round pick. The end result is basically that they're dropping about 8 to 10 spots in this year's draft, to get PJ Tucker is the biggest consideration, which I think when a lot of people saw that, they thought, wow, that's a, two first round picks. That's a huge overpay. It's really not when you factor in the one that's coming back and a second round pick that's coming back. But it is a trade. And it's a trade of, of somebody I think a lot of Sixers fans were interested in. And look, I had some interest in PJ Tucker too. And I, when I say that, I acknowledge that he has been bad this year and taken a clear step back this year so far. I wonder how much of that is not having James Harden to create wide open looks for him in the corner. I wonder how much of that is just disinterest because he's a 35 year old on a bad team that uh, has basically given up their, their title contention hopes. And and by the way,
2: boy, are they bad?
1: They're real. Oh my my God. So I wonder how much, like I, there's sort of those two factors. Plus also he's about to be 36. I think it is. He could just also be washed. Uh, And you don't truthfully know. I do think ultimately what uh, Milwaukee gave up, which again is is the biggest consideration is moving back 8 to 10 spots in this year's draft is a fair gamble for them to see whether or not he could turn the corner uh, and and find the productivity he had from 2-3 to years ago. But it is, like I said, it's key for the Sixers because the Sixers might have to match up against them and they can now switch a lot more uh, in the playoffs. It's key for the Sixers because that was a player you could have potentially targeted for relatively cheap uh, I had just written about it actually that day, legitimately that day. Thank you for cutting short the shelf life on my story. Uh, I written an article about that. We had a round table. Um, but also it is interesting to me, you know, with the trade deadline, and this is the first trade deadline where you have sort of that um, play in tournament factoring in and you've got rather than just one through eight, you've got seven through 10 in a playoff tournament to determine those last two seeds. Does that make more teams unwilling to be sellers because they think they can play their way into that 10 spot into that play in tournament into potentially a playoff bid that they otherwise wouldn't be in and if there are fewer sellers does that mean there are more buyers probably not more buyers because if you're a 10th ranked team you're probably not going all in to make that playoff tournament but it might mean there are fewer sellers and if there are fewer sellers then a few teams like the rockets who are out of it who are definite sellers no matter what they will have more leverage because there's just less supply on the market we are now what it is the 18th. We are now a week away from the trade deadline. It will be interesting to see how this shapes up. You've got the um, Raptors who have lost six in a row. And if you're a Sixers fan, hoping Kyle Lowry becomes available. You like seeing that. Uh, But again, they're, they're still, I think within that playoff tournament range and they're they've been decimated with COVID. So maybe they don't sell. I don't know, but it might influence that a little bit. Uh, That is still the one I am sort of holding out hope for.
2: That's the one that you would circle. And you know, Tucker was somebody who was rumored for the Sixers just because of his history with Daryl Morey. I mean, Daryl sure. Morey.
1: And also, like how say, many I, how how long have we been saying, like, boy, it would be great to get a, you know, sort of a, a a small ball shooting five that you could start switching some of these uh, Simmons-led lineups. Um, he would have fit in, theoretically, if you could regain his form from a few years ago, he would have fit in that regard.
2: Yeah, to me, it was always a question of, well, is he just bored right now? Is yeah. he not trying in Houston? Which in some ways is understandable. Like that is a guy who has given his uh his blood, sweat, and tears to that organization and they suck now and he just wanted to get traded. I am not holding him kind of packing it in against I'm not I'm not holding that against him. And I'm I'm certainly not holding it um you know, as a, as a guarantee that he's just going to be that bad when he gets to Milwaukee and he can actually try and, and win. But he, like you said, he's old. So, you know, he just might not be that good anymore. He also is, you know, he's a very weird player offensively in that his feet just have to be cemented into the ground to get a shot cemented. Now he can make that shot, but he also had the guy who was better at creating that shot than anybody in the league. And, Certainly, he made Harden's life easier on the defensive end. But my God, I mean, I don't think you're. Uh, even if he plays with Ben Simmons and it's a small ball lineup and and all of those things, it's different than having Harden and five shooters or sure. Harden and Capella and and just standing in the corner there. There is no offensive ecosystem like that in the NBA for him to play in again. Maybe if you went to Brooklyn and all those guys, not but that's a, about it.
1: You're not you're not running PJ Tucker off floppy. Is that what you're saying? No, he would and, have no idea what to do with his feet. That would be fun.
2: And you know what? There's been a lot of discussion since that Arnovitz ESPN article about you know are there too many threes? And Daryl Morey's been. It's pretty funny that Daryl Morey's starting to say that now, now that he plays for the team that doesn't, or he, he m- manages the team that you know doesn't shoot quite as many threes now. But I agree with I agree with this. The the guys that you need to get out of the NBA are the PJ Tuckers shooting threes. The the shots he takes should not be worth the. Th- Worth three points, Steph Curry. Those should be worth three. So, what I am saying is, get rid of the damn corner three. Is what that's my, it's my hot take for today. Um, well,
1: the problem is you can't. It's it's tough to push that back. Would you just like the above the break, like stretch it out to to the yeah, out of bounds? That's what I would do. Okay, yeah.
2: I there's do, a I do uh, think, there's I do a think- high school gym in Philadelphia, Roman Catholic, that is really small. It's like a nineteen. 50s type gym, and, and there's no corner three to be clear in that gym because just the there's a lack of width the on the on, yeah. on the court. But yeah, that's the they they have the idea of you just run the perimeter three point line and and don't you know don't cut it off at the uh at the corners basically.
1: Yeah, it, the, to me the only real solution there is I think moving the line back a little bit, making it a little bit tougher, which. By the way, if people then get real good at shooting, like if you move the line back to 26, 27 people get real good at making that shot, you then open up the lane for post ups, you open up the lane even further for drives. There is a lot of benefit to, you know, whenever we talk about the prevalence of a three point shot, it's not so much that you're taking away dunks or layups or transition, you're taking away those 17 footers, you're making them 24 footers, you make those 27 footers that will help other aspects of basketball and help pretty up the game. I don't have too big of a problem a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in move it back and abolish the corner three. We, uh, we got ourselves a sport now. I I do think it is a little bit too, uh, too homogenous and, uh, and Daryl's comments in that article about you want to have multiple ways to, to win. And the sport would be at its healthiest. If you have two separate strategies and, they're both equally effective but whoever executes their end of that strategy uh works the best i don't know and it's yeah. something uh i mean honestly it would help ben simmons right you know the, the fact that he can't make a 3 when you have you know these guys like pj tucker shooting threes like this well if the three point shot becomes harder for the average three point shooter then what ben does becomes more effective and uh yeah i don't know i right, we, we got a little bit off track there anyway pj tucker is a nice pickup for Houston. I don't think they gave up too much. They are already all the way in. I mean, I mean, they just pushed themselves. I don't know, like, like an inch further in. I don't even know what else they have to give up. By the way, Milwaukee, Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I I think they they have a very good chance. Eh. I mean, Brooklyn, very good. Milwaukee. We'll we'll see. They are among the contenders for the next few years. My God, they have a chance to be just awful. Yeah. Yeah in three or four years.
1: Yeah. And well, Milwaukee, that's a much bigger concern because you can't like Brooklyn can rebuild on the fly if they need to, maybe not on the fly, but you can clear cap space and you can be enticing to free agents without having a core necessarily in place. That's true. Milwaukee could never like, even if Milwaukee clears all their cap space, or even if they go, let's say a Spurs type route and they have a lot of, you know, solid assets that they want to then flip into a major one. You can't flip into a major one because you have no confidence that star is going to want to stay in Milwaukee. If we're talking about ways the threats to the NBA, the competitive balance and the large market and the destination cities, I think is a much bigger uh concern to rectify than three-pointers. But I agree with you. If you can have multiple different strategies which are viable in your league, I think it makes for a healthier league. I don't that doesn't mean I dislike the three-point shot at all really. I think it comes with a lot of benefits. But anything that you can do to Open things up, I think, is is worth considering. I'm not a not a traditionalist where you can't change anything, which would be stupid in basketball anyway, since the three-point shot changed so much. Uh, not only when it was introduced, but when people realized it was worth more than two points. Uh, Alright, so... What do we got coming up here? Oh, uh, we're going to have a mailbag podcast here over the weekend. So if you have a question, send us an email. Mailbag at SixersBeat.com and we will get that until that time there we do have a couple of days off so not many games are going to be played up until that point so give us some questions give us some mailbag content so we can get that out to you thank you rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon
2: see you man